welcome back to a brand new episode of the bot talk before i go ahead and begin today's episode i want to go ahead and run through two things before the episode starts and that is today's sponsor as well as some information regarding the torpedo weekly key that will be released throughout this video so let's begin with today's sponsor today's sponsor is platinum profits this is a well-known group within the community that has a ton of features available for all of their members in the background right now i'm showing you a video showcase of some of their features however i'm just going to go ahead and list off a few that i find the most value you have sport card flips, Pokemon flips, low key flips, and brick flips. So you have a very diversified income stream if you do go ahead and utilize everything in their group. And you also get access to tools such as early stock numbers and outfiller and much, much more. So the best part about all this is that the group is only $35 a month and you can actually go ahead and join their group right now. If you go down below into the description, within 30 minutes of this episode being released since its initial release, there's a link with limited stock on there that is live for 30 minutes. So I highly recommend if you're watching this right now on the initial release and it's within that 30 minute time period, go down below, check out that social media if you want and also go ahead and secure a spot within Platinum Profit for $35, I highly recommend it. Now moving over to the information regarding the Torpedo Weekly Key that will be released throughout this video, I do want to go ahead and clear something up. Within the video, I did not mention this, this is why I'm mentioning it now. So to all of you that are watching this video from the start, then obviously you guys have an advantage over the rest of the people that are just gonna skip through the video. The reason why I haven't actually premiered this video is because it's only one weekly key and I didn't feel like going through an entire premiere just to go ahead and drop this weekly key. So within the video somewhere, there is going to be a Discord invite. You go ahead and join that Discord invite. There's one slot because there's only one weekly at stake here. Whoever joins goes ahead and gets to activate the weekly key whenever they want. So if they want to use it for a release, then obviously they'll go ahead and activate it then. So it will be a Discord invite. And the first person to join that invite will go ahead and get the weekly key. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Bot Talk. In today's episode, I have a special guest. I've been eyeing up a few guests to bring into the 2021 season. Ends was right at the top of the list. So I reached out to him and we've brought you guys an episode. He works for a ton of companies. We're going to jump into everything about his backstory. I came across his products a while ago and I thought, It'd be a good episode in due time. So here it is. Also within this episode, we're dropping one torpedo weekly key. I have not done this as a live premiere because of the fact that it's only a weekly key. I advertise that on Twitter leading up to the release of this episode. So throughout this episode, somewhere randomly, I'm going to put the link on screen for like five or 10 seconds. Whoever claims it first claims it. So if you guys want to watch the episode, feel free to if you want to skip through. That's completely up to you. It will appear on the screen. So if you're watching this on Spotify, I highly recommend you go over to YouTube and make sure you're watching it there. But let's go ahead and begin today's episode. Enz is known as a dev who currently works at Torpedo, one of his recent roles, and he owns a company, Whoop Solutions, which is for Twitter monitors at the moment. So the first thing I do want to ask him, how did you discover coding? I took a, I've always been into coding and just looking at apps and everything. And um, my first really programming class ever was freshman year and high school. We I took a small visual basics class and if anyone knows anything about coding classes at school, that's like a really dumbed down version of um, just like Python. It's really similar to Python, I guess. And it wasn't much. And after that, I took a really long break, about like six months a year, and I didn't do really anything. And um, at the same time, I was doing sneakers, but I never really made the connection between coding and sneakers at that point. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people get into this sneakers community, see the money in the developing side of this community because there is a lot of money within it. And I'm sure we'll get into that later in the episode. And then they begin coding. I did a similar thing where I got into the community and now I've started to venture into coding a bit. So I'm going to bring that up in the episode as well. But it's definitely interesting to see that you started coding outside the community and you kept 
both the both those worlds apart obviously eventually connecting them but going back to the origins of your coding journey what were some of the first languages you played around with when you were learning to code yeah like i said i took that class and that was visual basic and that was super simple um it was literally we were just printing things on screen and making simple games after that like i said i took a really a, a good like time break and i started watching youtube tutorials on python and that's what i really coded in for the next um year i guess and eventually what i my main language now which i eventually switched to was like march 2020 was uh js or node.js and that's what i've been really coding up to this point which i recently just started working on um and learning golang yeah definitely javascript is the language that i'm starting with in high school i did mess around with python we created a few things uh for our grades and i messed around with that so i have a basic understanding of it but javascript is one that has really interested me because from the people i spoke to in developer servers and you know owners of big bots javascript seems to be a language that you can do a lot with like it's not very restrictive if you're wanting to do front end and you want to see results straight away then obviously that is available with javascript if you want to do back end that's available to you as well obviously you probably know a lot more about it than me but that's the way it was described to me yeah it's really great because you can js just has so many like obviously in module no js at least has so many modules and i never really got into chrome extensions it was always electron was really my first like platform and it was it was good because I was learning JS and um, the Node.js environment at the same time. And I feel like most people just go right to Node.js. They're not really just coding um, like Chrome extensions or anything without Node.js because modules are really the biggest thing. That's what like the biggest attraction is because there's so many just available libraries that are easy to use and people can just code with and plug in. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, especially in this community, when it comes to newcomers, I've seen a lot of them jump into very complex things because they know what the outcome can be. Obviously, you look at people like Lucas, maybe even yourself, you know, the Torbido devs, the other devs that you work with, any type of dev is in a position to make a large amount of income on a monthly basis, weekly basis, depending on the pricing model. And I feel like that influences people to jump into really complicated things. And then that kills off their motivation. I've seen that quite a lot on Twitter. And it's interesting to see because you see those people that start off with very limited coding knowledge, uh, begin at basic languages, build their way through, and then build big companies. Like my friend Alex, who runs um, Zonos Labs, he hasn't been coding very long, but he started off with the basic languages and he built himself up, and now he has a very popular bot in the community. Yeah, I, I really agree. Like, I, I have people DMing me all the time saying they want to start coding a sneaker bot and they really don't know how to code at all. And I just tell them that you really want to exp like put sneakers to the side first and get a really good basis of programming and understanding how it works and just ignore requests and networking and proxies for the, as long as possible. Because the moment that you're going to take that leap from just normal coding, I guess, and then learning networking at the same time, because that's you have to learn you have to relearn a lot of stuff that from before and just when you don't have that basis it gets too confusing and like you said people just drop out and just drop it yeah definitely i think uh i'm currently running like a code academy course on javascript and one of the things that i'm finding quite enjoyable is that i'm learning the base at the moment we're going through arrays we're going through objects stuff like that and when it comes to certain activities i already know how to do parts of it and that's really interesting because that is the basis that you're referring to and i feel like if i had that basis when i go when i pass this course and i go create some mini applications like chrome extensions uh web pages whatever it may be 
that basis is very important because I can always refer to it. I'm confident in my ability. And then obviously, um, throughout everyone's uh, developing journey from the people I spoke to, they're constantly Googling, relearning, researching stuff. But having that basis is uh, definitely a good to have. Yeah, I agree. It's just so much better. Yeah, definitely. So we spoke about the fact that your coding and sneakers well were kind of separated. That's fair. But how did you discover the button community? Um, I, I'm gonna. I feel like this is gonna be very similar to a lot of other people's answers. But um, I was reselling for about um, a year or so, maybe a little longer. I was. Um, I was interested. I caught my first manual Yeezy in like 2017. It was the Yeezy Beluga 2.0. And I sold it for a profit and I was, I, I was interested because I obviously made money at a really young age and I was like, um, I should try to do this more. And, um, basically I started, I resold over that next year and about six, seven, eight months in, um, I got an ad for force cop, uh, the Chrome extension, which is a Supreme I, I, people have heard of it. It's similar to like heated sneaks. And that was really my first quote unquote bot. And I think I, I hit a few items. I hit a few jackets and I actually sold, that's when Supreme would resell every week. And it was, it was great. And after that, um, I found out about request-based bots, obviously. And my first true, true bot was uh, PD. Yeah, definitely. I feel like bots that spent money in advertising definitely did bring in a lot of people. When I was starting in the community back in 2018, uh, there was a few bots that uh, I saw ads for. NSP was one of them. And I think it does a good job. Now, if you go onto YouTube, there's a tons more of videos just about botting in general. Back in 2018, it wasn't very populated, not as much as it, as it is now. I personally feel like it's a lot easier to join the community now because there's so much documentation, there's so much videos out there and bot companies see the benefits of accommodating towards newcomers and the ones that haven't will definitely benefit from um, accommodating to the newcomers. So obviously, Forcecop is a major example of people coming into the community and obviously you said your first bot was PD. So shifting away from a consumer standpoint, when it came to actually working at botting companies, groups, tools, any type of company within the community, what were some of the first companies you got involved with? Um, I, I really, I obviously started on my own and made my own script. I think my first thing ever was a... Uh, CLI Yeezy Supply like browser task script, and that's when S Chris uh, uh, S was extremely popular. Um, I remember like if you remember when Yeezy Supply switched from Shopify to Demandware, and they had a splash page. That's when S Chrysant was extremely popular because it made a cheap, easy solution, and that was really when like mass browser tasks worked. And I made a CLI version of that in Python, and then after that, I that's when I really took my break away from Python. And I started learning JS and that's when I made an electron, um, I guess restock bot on, I don't know if many people have heard of it, but it's called Lotus AIO. Yeah. I and that was like, had to do with, that had to do with Twitter, basically monitoring Twitter and like discord. And that was like an auto link opener. It was really, it was really early auto link opener. Cause you see all these auto link openers now, but it was, it was at the beginning of time, really close to when, um, a little after Pulsar started. Yeah, that's interesting. One thing that um, I wanted to extract from that, you were talking about Electron, and then obviously you were talking about uh, browser-based scripts. Can you uh, distinguish the difference? Because obviously I don't know, and a lot of you aren't going to know, but it seems like there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, so um, what I was trying to say was for S. Chrysant, basically the way that bot worked, was it would just open 30, 20, 30 browsers on your PC and it would wait in the um, queue. And that was 
Electron is just a framework for what bots are made in. Most bots, that's what just the front end is. I would say most bots um, are made in that. Um, yeah, I think I could list a few off the top of my head. Kodai, PD, Torpedo's front end is that. Um, Ghost AIO, just so many. And uh, what I was trying to say was when Yeezy Supply first switched, it was obviously you have to spend time coding a bot to actually send requests to a site. And the fastest way, uh, S. Chrysant basically made a solution that you would just open mass browsers and they just ignored requests. And that was for the first few weeks or so when there was Yeezy Supply drops in that time, people they were cooking because obviously they were the only solution around. And then about a month or two later when Splash Force came around, that was request based a request based electron bot and that absolutely cooked it and that pretty much just killed S Chrysant. Yeah, that's quite interesting to see when a bot jumps on a method for a site first, obviously utilizes that and then that uh secures them success, but when other bots come and do it, obviously it overpopulates uh the bots doing it and obviously kills off certain bots. We saw it with Palace bot, obviously with Shoe Palace when the before they did the yeah. switch. That that was an interesting um scenario. We're not gonna get into it, but um yeah I, I it's quite interesting to see how the i wouldn't call it bot economy but like how the bot world works in terms of if your bot's there first and it's cooking if more bots come in it creates more stress on the side there's less success across each bot it's quite interesting and it kind of dictates what bot is built the best and how it's maintained and obviously that leads to the success of each bot yeah i think i think another really good example of it i was just thinking was uh something called samurai bypass that was very short-lived, maybe one to two months max. And that was built off the fact that you could skip Shopify queues with um, basically adding to cart and waiting in the cart and then getting the checkout link. And they cooked Yeezy Supply when it was Shopify. But what ended up happening was bots. That was that took a little bit for bots to add. It's, it's really analogous to um, or similar to Cyber's super safe mode. If you've ever ran Cyber or any other Shopify bot, um, if you watch a task, what it does is add to cart, waits in queue, and then gets that. Um, so, so that's pretty much the premise of Samurai. That's all Samurai would do. And it was a really simple solution. But like I said, it was first, and it was it was way easier to code than actually putting in a bot. So they were alive for one to two months, and they ha- their resale spiked to a few hundred dollars. But right after, like I said, Cyber or any other Shopify bot added it, it pretty much just killed Samurai. Yeah, I remember Samurai being around and it was interesting because obviously they died off pretty quickly. I actually wasn't aware of why. Uh, Obviously, I knew because of a lack of success because of other applications catching on to the same idea, but I wasn't actually uh, aware of the technical thing. So that's pretty interesting. But obviously, one thing that we can't deny is that 2020 leading into 2021, March of 2020, has been a very weird year to say the least you know we've uh we've all been sent home uh online learning people losing jobs but from the developers i speak to the ones that can balance their work life with their personal life even with a lack of that at the moment a lot of them have found benefit from having this much free time and that is one thing i didn't want to speak to you about from having all this free time during this uh pandemic have you seen any benefits or have you seen any drawbacks from yourself and your work ethic I would definitely say benefit because obviously I'm in high school. Um, my school hours dropped dramatically. At first, they didn't even do Zooms. We all, pretty much all of our classes were just straight work, and I only I could pretty much bang it out in the first two hours of the day. 
And then I would spend the rest of the day coding Lotus, which was really fun, which was obviously I wasn't making the funny thing about that was I wasn't making a single dime in my like money wasn't really in my head at that point. Um, I was just doing it for fun and to learn. And I was putting, I would say, at least 50 hours in a month, maybe maybe more up to 100 because I was coding like four or five hours a day. And it was obviously I was learning at the time I was learning Electron and I was learning JavaScript, but it was just a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that I'm not glad, obviously that COVID happened, but I think that was a small, one of the small benefits I got out of it. Um, it distracted me a lot from really like, uh, I guess the social aspect because you couldn't really go out and see friends. So I was doing that instead. Yeah, definitely. The way our college worked in the first lockdown back in March, they've changed it now to actually like Zoom meetings. But um, previously what they do is they'd upload all the work on the Monday. So then I'd literally spend the entire day doing the work and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm free. So then that gave me a lot of time to work and obviously I saw the benefits of that. I know a lot of people were in a similar scenario just because of the fact that the teachers didn't have the training to use uh, Zoom, even though that sounds really stupid to us, but to them, they're in their 30s, 40s, so they don't have to use it. And obviously uh, Wi-Fi becomes a problem, devices become a problem. So that free time, I'm glad you use it to your advantage. And obviously um, one aspect that you did touch upon is the fact that you weren't making money from uh, Lotus and that is interesting to me just because of the fact that I feel like this community is very money focused given that you know bots have its insane resale uh, aftermarket values there's a lot of money involved when it comes to sneakers would you recommend to a newcomer that comes into coding to spend time learning and uh, pushing money aside before going after these big projects and bringing in the income oh yeah definitely I I, I feel like People, like I said before, people come to me and saying they want to work for a bot and make money. And you just have to realize the percent of people that are coding in the sneaker community. And the, like the top, it's really only the top 5%, I would say, of developers are making those are making those like big bucks. But that's because they had years and years of experience. And I know I didn't have a years of experience, but I was coding, like I said, 50 hours a month, 100 hours a month and um i didn't make a single dime and i know for example tencent he was coding ever since he was nine he obviously never monetized that up until pretty much this year with his friends with torpedo yeah that is interesting obviously i do think that it depends on your goals some people have monetary goals and you know it's pretty obvious when you do see how they act it's not necessarily a bad thing i'd say i have a lot of monetary goals but i also do have personal goals and it's very important to have that balance i feel but one thing I did want to uh, touch upon, uh, when you were speaking about obviously top 5% of developers making all that money and yourself saying that you haven't been uh, coding very long heavily, would you say there's an element of luck involved when it comes to like knowing the right people, having the right amount of clout or following in the community to push your products? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things I realized early on, I guess, was connections are definitely the strongest thing you could have in a community and or it's either that or having a really strong product because one i think torpedo is a really good example of it because no one really ever heard of it we never hyped up beta as much as you see other bots we had only a few thousand followers in maybe august and it was never really hyped up but people were hitting hundreds of shoes but it wasn't until our public beta when we just showed all of our successes when it was getting hype is it was a truly good product and i think there's too many Right now, for example, too many beta bots and just bots that are are showing off their like saying that they're gonna cook. And I would say, I'm just gonna give a few examples. Like, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but um, Ignite, 
I would say is a big example of that. Obviously that's been talked about a lot in the community, but there's just so many examples that you see people absolutely hyping up this bot and then it absolutely just crashes. And then on the other side of it, um, it is connections. It really comes down to connections. I definitely would not be here where I am if I never built up those connections over the past few years with uh, bigger staff and bigger um, dev developers in the community. Yeah, definitely. I do agree that. I mean, when I was starting the bot talk, people vaguely, like not many people knew who I am, but a few select owners knew who I was. And that was enough for me to get in the right circles. Because when I first started, I got uh, Sean from PD at the time. And then I got Curry and then I got Michael. Only those few types of people, sorry, only those few people created the following for the bot talk. And then people were like, okay, if X is associated with me, okay i should be talking to this person this person seems uh legitimate and that kind of builds your connections obviously i i started back in 2018 and you know i've been working for a variety of companies that's how i've met people uh i network quite a bit so obviously i know people around the community i know where they're associated with how they act and i feel like it's very important because um you see these people coming to the community that don't really know anyone but have a lot of money and a lot of backing and it just doesn't work well i think you need certain figures backing you up so even if it does come to um dire situations where let's say your bot's not cooking there's just people in place to let's say if you want to hype it up again you can utilize those connections to get a giveaway get a raffle just hype up your companies and yeah uh, i'd say if i didn't have the connections i had initially i wouldn't be where i am as well so i do relate to you on that point yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me was just getting in the community really early. And I'm not saying it's a problem if you don't. It was just really, I knew people back then in 2017, which was almost like three and a half years ago is when I got into the community and got into pretty much Discord is like, um, was a really big thing for me because I never knew about Discord before sneaker community. I bought my first cook group and I downloaded Discord and that's really what started for me. And I, I added all these friends. I was tried to be as genuine and nice to people as possible. I believe um, I offered like support and to be a mod in a cook group for free. And that was basically just me trying to build connection with the owner. And I was really only trying to get knowledge and a, like a really strong connection with people higher up than me in the community. It's really about climbing that ladder. I would say once, once you're, you begin as a consumer and I was a consumer for at least two and a half years. And it wasn't until the, the recent like year that I really, started i was a mod and then i was a staff and then i was an admin and i really eventually became a developer yeah definitely i can relate that my first job was adept and that was within the first three days of me being in the community and i feel like um i don't know how this is going to come off but i feel like a lot of new people have egos for some reason and it's kind of weird bro like i'm telling you when i was in this community i was not trying to i was not trying back to anyone i was like yes sir and i, was, I wasn't actually but I was just a lot more respectful than I see a lot of people out there. And I don't know, maybe it's got to do with age, maturity, you know, who you're around. But there's some mad people in this community, I'm telling you. Like, when it comes to respect, I feel like everyone should have a level of respect as human decency. But when it comes to people higher up within you that has had success, has put time into their craft, then, you know, there is a level of respect that you should give them because, you know, they're arguably higher up than you. They put more work in than you, and you should be able to recognize that. So it is interesting to see how the community shifted from, you know, uh, 2017, 2018 to where it is now. 
um, in terms of this is a pretty random question, but in terms of when you started to where the community is at now, would you say there's more positives and negatives in terms of changes? I would say the competition in Saturday, like the competition has grown greatly and it pushes, it really pushes other bots to become better. Um, same with saturation of consumers. Like for example, if you looked at the bots in 2017, 2018, this is really funny, but this is really small. But if you looked at the bots in 2017, 2018, they were all the same like net framework, uh, like soul slayer, Supreme slayer, all the, uh, Y cop, they were all these really basic bots, but the main focus was, um, functionality but as time grew on bots started to look nicer they used to got they got sleeker and even though the functionality stayed the same it was really just to appeal to consumers so i think um the 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 shift really was from 2017 to 2021 was um being focused on copying shoes and everyone was just trying to get a pair of shoes or a pair of like um some supreme in 2017 and it's shifted a lot more to making a buck off consumers and getting getting because i know plenty of developers um actually like way more than i would say nine out of ten developers don't actually bot themselves they're only coding they're not actually botting and same with a bunch of admins too i know of cook groups or owners of cook groups they really aren't botting or even in it for shoes anymore which i personally do i stay in it for shoes like i love botting even though sometimes I, i'll lose money i love to get a clip of yeezys yeah, it is interesting because you know I've seen that trend as well. There's multiple cook group owners, bot owners that don't ha- don't cook because it isn't a requirement. There was a conversation I had back with one of the guests on the show uh, back in 2019 where we were speaking about the idea where should owners of applications or cook group owners have large success to justify them being in a position to own a company? And I I disagree then. I still disagree now. I feel like if you have the capability to for example develop a bot and it works who cares if you're using it or not? the consumer is getting success and that's fine obviously you going for these easy clips that that's completely fine as well if you want to stay in the hobby that's fine but i know a lot of people even me personally i think the last time i bought was uh one of the supreme box logo drops like i even tell you like oh yeah it's been that long yeah i think the only time i'll ever buy is if i want a personal and that's mm-hmm. about it and I feel like a lot of people are on the same wavelength as me. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I feel like the margins have gotten a lot smaller too. And that's kind of a big cause of it. Cause obviously, like you said, you only really go to box logos because those are like for a personal or you're going to double your money. But other than that, you don't really care about making. Cause um, once, once you've passed that threshold of actually making more money, because more people in the community are teenagers, I feel like, or a younger audience trying to make money in high school. And once you kind of get to that top, like upper level, owning a cook group, becoming a developer, you realize there's more money in it. And those mar- like comparing those margins to how much money you're making now, you're saying like the time, the time just isn't worth it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an idea that I've been like kind of thinking about recently, uh, just because I listen to a lot of podcasts. Very surprising, I wrong, but um, and a lot of people speak <laughs> about this idea that. Um, as you make more money, your time becomes more valuable. And let's say if I were to invest three hours into one row and I'd gain $600 and I spend three hours into another row and I only make 100 there is that comparison to make. And then you end up basically valuing your time more. It's the same thing as yeah. like if you were to run a company. 
if let's say mm-hmm. five years ago your friend said to you yo let's go to the cinema or something you're like yo okay no double no there's literally no thought that passes your mind that says no other than other than like i don't know your availability with your parents or something there's nothing else but now you've got responsibility so now it's like okay does going to the cinema with my friend who I haven't seen in X amount of time weigh up more than me doing this, this and this? I should, I could have been doing this, this or this and you kind mm-hmm. of just weigh it up and I feel like it's an interesting concept because um, I feel like everyone's always struggling to balance it because uh, obviously you should re- reward yourself by you know socialising, obviously it's hard to do now. You should reward yourself but you shouldn't also get caught up with the fact that you do have responsibilities. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, um, I believe over the summer or in the beginning of the summer, I was looking to get like a developer job in the sneaker community for a bot. And I was offered by Hyper AIO, but they wanted me, this was over the like, beginning of the summer and they, they wanted me to code uh, full time about like eight hours or um, like six, seven, eight hours a day and every week. And I was like, I just can't, couldn't do that as a high school high school student i was studying over the summer and i was doing workouts for football and i just couldn't just couldn't keep up with that so i just even though obviously there was money there i still wanted to have a childhood and i said i I declined that but i think that you like you said it's really about balance between uh spending your time wisely but still enjoying your life enjoying your life that's very interesting because i know a lot of people would jump for that opportunity even with this current circumstances that you have and then mm-hmm. just sacrifice, you know, mental health and uh, socializing just to go out. I'm assuming the money was good because the company's big, but, and they're asking you to accord quite a bit. <laughs> but um, that's very interesting, you know, and I think there is some nobility in that because of the fact that you can recognize that it would affect your life negatively. And one thing I do want to tap into, uh, I don't want to make a generalization, but a lot of people do speak about mental health of developers. And because of the community we're in, I personally feel like there's a lot of negativity within it towards developers. Have you experienced that too much or have you just seen it within your peers? Um, I totally agree, especially, or I, I, I haven't personally experienced it as much, um, but there's a lot of negativity toward developers when their bot doesn't work or it's not going so well. Obviously you see a bot like flopping and people, the consumers get mad, but they don't realize how much stress the developers under. They're putting in full days, and their bot is pretty much not hitting shoot. Bot success can really fluctuate, and the problem is that that can fluctuate the resell and how many copies they can release. Because obviously, every bot owner is worried about their their resell. And when you see your resell dipping, it just it's just the worst feeling. You just see your bot plummet. It's just. It's not great, and it really deteriorates your mental health. So I would say it's two things: it's your consumers and people actually, just in general chat, just saying the bot flopped, I hate it, etc. And then the other one, other side of it is just the um, seeing your resale just dip is just like, I this is my fault. Um, I could have I could have solved this if I spent more time on it, etc. Yeah, it's interesting because this community has a lot of large demands, and I personally feel like they're quite unrealistic compared to a typical consumer's demands. This community is the only community that utilizes chargebacks like really heavily, even if the service has been fulfilled. Like, technically speaking, no bot promises to cook. The only promise they have you is that when you click that purchase button and you fill out your information, if you're successful in purchasing, 
you will get an email with your license key, links to your dashboard, and you can download the board. That's all they really promise. It comes down to your judgment of whether you want to invest your money into this company and whether it cooks or not. That's regardless. Obviously, that that obviously plays into a big part of you know maintaining a user base, but you know you still see chargebacks about it. So it's quite interesting to see um, how developers deal with it because. I've seen a lot of developers tweet out about their mental health, but then you look at the people from the biggest bots, and uh, obviously from a public eye, I may be wrong, but they don't seem too stressed. Arguably, it's because they're bot cooks. But it's interesting because you know you have to try balance your personal life whilst coding a bot, and obviously you know there's good money there, and obviously the resale market as well. Yeah, I think um, you had a really good point there. It's like. Uh they're bots cooking, they're not stressed, but I think, um, I'll give a quick example. There's a bunch of bots with one develop, like a one man team. Um, I can list a few mech AIO, mech Prem, obviously is Mike, uh, Balco, um, Dashy, Hunter, um, Kodai's only two, which is Dorg and Sawyer. Like it's, it's really they're I've talked to some of them and they're, they're really stressed out a lot and they're working a ton of hours, obviously. And, I think that's a really good transition to say that like at Torpedo working there is just awesome because people notice that we have a slightly developer, um, a larger developer team. We have about six active devs. And even though that's more than the average bot, we all get a focus really on our own thing and a specific like module, let's say. And you can spend a lot of time on that. And it's not as stressful because you're not doing as many hours and you don't have to worry about as many things. But in the end, it it really all comes together. and all of us don't, I, I believe that all of us, obviously we have our social lives and school lives, but in the end, I feel like overall, we don't experience, experience as much stress as some of these other one-man teams in the community. Yeah, obviously that is one thing I did want to transition to. You picked up the role for Torpedo back in October, which is huge, obviously it's a big company. One thing I did want to bring to the table, this idea, you're speaking about multiple devs to reduce stress, that's great, but if you were to compare that to the pay of a two developer team or a single developer team. I feel like some people would make that trade off, but I'm curious to see what your opinion is on that. It's it's less about, um, I feel like how many are on the team and more about how many owners there are, for example, obviously, because what really happens is the owners are getting the biggest cut. And um, I think that's where I've talked to other owners and other people working for other bots and they, pretty much like go to like a three man team for example and let's say there's two owners and one de- one other developer that one developer is going to probably be the pay getting paid the same as um as me or another developer on our team that's not an owner it's really about how many owners there are on the actual bot and but i think i think having one of the another benefit of having such a large team is for example, when one of us needs to take a leave for finals or something for school, and there has to be a lot of coding be done, that can be evenly distributed to the other members. For example, when you have, let's say Mike at Mac has like a, a family emergency or pretty much like has to do something for school and he can't spend time coding it, who's going to code it? There's no one to code it. So that's, I think that's another really big benefit of it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it just depends on your life situation. Like I think, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you are aware, but Lucas took a gap year before going to university to focus on cyber, which is pretty smart. You know, he's generating, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. from cyber, like it, it is feasible. So that's interesting because, you know, that's his full-time job pretty much. But yeah, I definitely feel like a bigger <laughs> developer team is necessary. But I think 
it does come down to pay like you said obviously it is equal depending on you know um the split between owners but i feel like the shift towards consumers willing to pay more for the bot is also very good as well like you see these pricing models that i personally feel like is the ultimate pricing model for any bot you have the initial fee of maybe 250 300 and then you pay a monthly fee to maintain that key i feel like that's the ultimate price payment model and i feel like everyone should follow that for the maximum revenue on the company side and for the users to be safe to some degree i definitely think that that payment structure is dominant compared to others but i'm curious to hear your opinion on it what do you think about it yeah I, I thought it was really interesting when um i know other people think this too when rush io came out with the purely purely subscription 100 dollars a month or a thousand dollars a year that was because they obviously stated that um they wanted to pay their developers more and they think they that they deserved more money and um obviously i don't know if you've seen it but i made a sheet about pretty much every other or every um bot's renewal fee ranked and you see some of the um older bots actually which is kind of funny you see some of the older bots having the lower renewal fees and the actual higher bots higher up you go is more generalized as a newer bot so i feel like kind of the the focus has shifted more from um or like bots or at least are trying to get more money in general and obviously um you have some bots like that are gonna back backdoor but i think rush was what they were trying to say was they're doing this higher renewal so they don't have to backdoor in the first place yeah i think it's quite interesting i personally don't have a problem with backdoors i feel like it's your application you can do what you want with it obviously take the repercussions of that into account when it comes to the resale and the market and obviously how many people are running your bot but i personally don't have a problem with it but when it comes to pricing models, one thing that I'm interested to get your opinion on, I believe that the higher you price your bot, generally it reflects in the resale market value. And now I was thinking about Dragon and the reason why is because Dragon was like 1K initial, right? Something like that. It resells for like 15, 17K and that's, cr that's crazy, bro. That's a brand new car. Like, and I was thinking like, realistically you can't really stop obviously the idea behind charging more initially is to close the gap between the initial payment and the resale market value but i feel like it's just uh, reflective so the more you pay initially the more you're going to pay on the resale aftermarket assuming that there is a large amount of success with that book yeah i mean i guess it's a mix of both because i don't i think it's more reflected obviously like this is pretty obvious but more reflected on success for example, like um, Kodai is only it's pretty it's pretty um, their initial is pretty cheap. It's like two fifty for two months, right? Which is I mean I guess it's not that cheap, but it's more on the lower spectrum. And they're like their bots really is really good. And um, and their monthly I have it up right now is forty five dollars. And um, I think it's more reflective of your success of the bot, which is pretty obvious. But then you see these new bots coming out. Um, I have right here is the renewal fee for, for example, like Rattenfingers. Um, it's really interesting to see because their one year price is seven hundred dollars, and obviously they're new and they're try I guess they're trying to make a statement. But the actual bot itself only resells for seven hundred eight hundred. But um, on the other side of it, I guess um, I'm looking at this sheet right now. Cybersouls, their one year cost is only two hundred sixty dollars. So you see these bots that have extremely high renewals and that are new, 
it's just not justifiable to say that just because you're charging super high amounts and um, for renewal is saying like, like you said, they're, I guess they're trying to gap, like close that gap. But at the same time, it can, it can really backstab you. But if your bots um, resell cost dips below how much it actually costs to uh, pay for it. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because um, I think the main thing when it comes to that scenario, for example, when it dips below his resale cost, I still feel like people would buy it. Even if success did dip, and I'll explain why. The pressure when it comes... Let's say you enter a raffle, a cold eye raffle, like they did one on Instagram the other day, I think. Mm-hmm. You have 24 hours to enter. You enter it, you know, be lucky. It's insanely lucky to hit that. I hit one back in the beginning of 2020. That was crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, but when it comes to like an initial release, like saying, you'll be here in five minutes, we're going to restock. Even if your bot isn't doing as well as it should be, I'd still assume that you'd sell out because of the fact that the consumer has a lot of pressure to check out within that window because it's such a limited time. And yeah, I would, using yeah, I would agree with that. So it, it, it's kind of, it's like a gray area because even if the retail is below its retail amount, it just becomes like a guessing game as to whether the bot would bring in revenue or not. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. I would say one of the most, I guess, interesting things for me when looking at like my renewal sheet and kind of thinking about bots resells is Dashy. Obviously, you see the gap between the uh, the re like for resale at least for a renewal copy versus a lifetime. A lifetime goes for six hundred dollars plus. And a retail or a renewal copy only goes for about one hundred fifty dollars, and that's because like the upkeep the upkeep cost is like fifty dollars a a month or about six hundred dollars a year. So really, people people are thinking about um or like people bots resells are really reflected in the resell when it starts to get to that range. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you know there's a huge topic there, and I feel like it's going to continue to shift. They're going to see more expensive uh, payment structures coming out. And I feel mm-hmm. like the older bots, like you just mentioned, are going to switch to a more expensive payment structure, which I feel like is justified because they've had to prove themselves in the community. They've been long lasting in the community. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this conversation ages in terms of which bots go to a higher price and how consumers react. But I did want to go ahead and touch upon Whoop Solutions before we go ahead and end the episode. So I'm a current client of yours for one of my groups, uh, The Layout. And I'm interested because I'm pretty sure you merged with oh, I don't know I don't know how to pronounce his name I don't know how to butcher it Vico yeah you merged with him so how was that merge like because I'm not entirely sure how you merged two Twitter monitor companies so it wasn't much of a merge I would say so I actually started the company all the way back in um in March I, well it it was kind of interesting I'll actually I'll I'll go into that real quickly. Uh, I started Lotus, and that was a Twitter monitor tool and a Discord tool. And at the same time, I was coding Twitter monitors. Um, and that's really how I got into sneaker Twitter coding. And um, I wanted to, what I, my main goal was to be faster than Restock World eventually. So I, I would spend hours and hours researching Twitter, um, looking into endpoints, finding bypasses. And I was creating for this group. And then at one point, I think I realized I could sell this to other groups. And I think my first um, my first group was my friend Kurt's King Flipped. And I gave it to him for like 50 bucks a month. 
and it was just a simple discord monitor but from there every month after that march all the way up until i would say august i was just growing my discord monitor group or my discord monitors and i think i had about 13 clients my biggest one being a hidden society and notify i believe um and that's really when that's right before when school started for me and it was starting to get really stressful and even though i got really big i was getting extremely stressful and i was working um tons of hours a day upkeeping these servers talking in tickets and that's when i kind of decided i would i would sell the company i really i posted actually i posted a want to sell um all the way back in august and i got some really high offers but that's when vaco actually reached out to me and said um he wanted to do he didn't want to buy out the company all all out he just wanted to do a royalty deal that we would we just split the company and work together on it and that's really but most people actually don't know this but that's when we renamed it from uh ends labs to whoop solutions and from there it's just been up we started we refined the twitter i mean the discord monitors in about a month or two we got our costs down and that's when we started developing um the web-based and once we released web-based it just went up from there i think that was back in um late October, early November, which is funny because that was when I was hired by Torpedo 2. So it was a really, it was a really good month for me. <laughs> um, I, I, I did all the way back. It's deleted now, so you can't see it. But um, yeah, I posted it in... Most people don't know about that. Yeah, so I was getting really stressed and I, I, I think my... I I posted a wanna sell and um the funny thing is we're we're making my offer, like my top offer I was considering is we're um making close to that a month now, which is like it's just like just blows my mind how how much because um how much the feedback we've gotten is great. We've had I think our retention rate is like only one group has dropped us in the past like four months, which is just like insane for me to think about. Like that's how much members of these groups are loving these monitors. And like I said before, my main goal was really to beat restock world. And it wasn't really until um, August when I was consistently beating them in discord. And that just right before I was decided I wanted to sell it is that was kind of my goal over the past six months was just to, it was um, most people don't know this, but you can basically get how fast or like a timestamp from a discord message. So what I was doing was I was comparing them every drop. And I think in August I started consistently beating them and it just blew my mind that they had like a private developer and I was selling these Twitter monitors that were faster than them. Yeah, it is interesting because at the moment your Twitter monitors are regarded as the fastest in the community, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Yeah, it's just, it's just awesome. Don't quote me. Well, you can't quote me on this actually, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said you can't make the monitors any faster. Oh yeah, because I'll, yeah. I'll explain that real quickly. Yeah. Um, the the fastest. So most people in the community, I'll try to explain this real quick. Most people in the community understand how a proxy works, um, especially when you test it. All you're doing is sending a request to a server, and it's telling you the response time, which is in milliseconds. And Twitter's Twitter's response time from pretty much a, from a server, if you send a request to it, um, it's about forty to fifty milliseconds. And maybe a little higher, like 60, actually, I think I tested it recently. It's anywhere from like um, 70 to 100 milliseconds. And our monitors are getting speeds of like 100, 
eight, like 90, 110 milliseconds. So that, that last 30 milliseconds is us sending it from either our, our monitor like servers to the web based or to discord. So that combination of time is we're really pretty much can only get about 10 milliseconds faster, which is just insanely hard to comprehend. We're pretty much getting it like instantly when the tweet is tweeted, we're getting it from the Twitter server and sending it right to the web base, which is if you do it side by side side, it's actually pretty funny because when you click tweet, um, the, the request is sent, but you don't actually see the tweet on your screen until like another like few hundred milliseconds. So it shows up on our web base before the actual Twitter page. Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of Twitter monitor beef before I got suspended, and um, it never it never really sat well with me because of the fact that like, yeah, obviously you sell your company's monitors based on that, but realistically, the window of fifty milliseconds, who's going to be able to react in that time? I think it comes down to that. But it is interesting to see that you're the fastest um, monitor company, and it's going to be interesting to see how long you guys can keep it there because. Obviously, you're saying that there's no way of getting it faster, which is fine because obviously you explained it. But we have seen loads of monitor companies in the past get taken down by... Oh, sorry, not taken down. Probably the wrong word or phrase to use. Probably um, another company overtakes them. So it's going to be interesting to see how that ages. But guys, that is going to go ahead and conclude today's episode with ENDS. If you wish to check out his related companies, I will leave that link down below. If you want to check out his personal Twitter, I will also leave that link down below. Throughout this episode somewhere, I did put the link for the Torpedo Weekly Key. So if you guys want to secure it, congratulations. However, that is going to go ahead and conclude today's episode. If you guys enjoyed, please drop a like, subscribe. If you guys are new, I'm going to catch you guys next time. Peace out.